Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. At our church, we have people repeat a prayer who want to place their faith in Christ. Jesus did all the hard part. He did everything but pray your prayer. That sinner's prayer has sent more people to hell than anything on the face of the earth. If you want to find Christ, he's as close as a prayer. I'm going to ask you just to pray with me right now. Just say these words with me. You can say those words every day for the rest of your life and die and be separated from God. Just say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. The scripture does not say that Jesus Christ came to the nation of Israel and said that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, who would like to ask me into their heart? It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. I was being sarcastic, which is another big word you'll learn in school. What's the word on the street? This is Wretched Radio bringing you a prophetic word. Well, I'm not going to predict the future, but the Bible spells out what the future holds specifically for Israel. That's right, an eschatological conversation about future events where I have to confess I personally do not spend as much time pondering as they did in the first century. If you read through your New Testament epistles, it's it's coming. It's happening. Jesus is returning. Let's be ready. Why did they feel that urgency? Because Jesus talked about it a lot. Live like I'm going to be knocking on your door any second. Be prepared for the return of the bridegroom. First, second, third century churches, they did. We've gotten a little far away from that, haven't we? Perhaps because we've, for the most part, been living very comfortably. They struggled, especially as Christians, and they longed for the day that Jesus would return. You feeling that longing more and more than you did, say, a decade ago? Supersessionism is the belief that Israel no longer plays a role in God's redemptive plan. Would like to give credit to Tom Hammond for this, but I'm not going to. Here's a definition of supersessionism. Then, of course, we'll get to the definitions of non-supersessionism. Supersessionism holds that national ethnic Israel has either forfeited or completed both her status and role as the chosen people of God. Therefore, National ethnic Israel will never again play a unique part in God's prophetic plans apart from those of the church. That is supersessionism. The church, to use a device, the church has superseded Israel. And Israel is not in the picture anymore because they rejected the Messiah. We'll unpack that. Supersessionism holds that the church is now the true spiritual Israel and that the church has permanently replaced or superseded national ethnic Israel as the people of God. Israel and the church? Synonymous. And all of the unfulfilled Old Testament prophecies will be fulfilled in the church. That has to be included in your definition of supersessionism or you're in big trouble. Because if you look at the prophecies... They're aimed at Israel. Those unfulfilled prophecies about the return of Jesus Christ, the millennial reign, that's that's to Israel. Those promises are to Israel. And they have to say that the church has superseded Israel, and they're going to be fulfilled inside of the branch, which was grafted in to the tree Israel. Non-supersessionism holds that national ethnic Israel has not permanently forfeited her unique status as the people of God. Therefore, national ethnic Israel still has a unique role in God's prophetic plans. 
Israel and the church, still separate entities, or entities rather, and must be treated as such when interpreting Scripture, including all Scripture that pertains to eschatology. And I think you are going to see, and, and incidentally, the people who are supersessionists, you might be one of them. I don't think you're an idiot. I get it. I, I, I know how that, that, that position is argued. I get that. But I do believe that the prophetic hurdles can't be jumped over with supersessionism. That there are prophecies, future events that clearly include Israel. And I'm not just talking about in the book of Isaiah. The book of Revelation makes it clear Israel's going to be doing something in these end times events. Last definition of non-supersessionism holds that national ethnic believing Israel will one day be both saved and restored. Though this doesn't mean every Jewish individual will be saved and national ethnic Israel will be replanted as a literal kingdom in the land that was promised to her. Specifically, that takes us to the Abrahamic covenant. Remember what God promised in an everlasting one-way covenant? A land, a nation, a seed. He's delivered on the seed, continues to deliver on the seed, and he's not going to stop providing the seed. Nor is he going to discontinue his relationship with Israel and Jewish people. There is a future plan for them because the Abrahamic covenant does not have an expiration date. It doesn't say until the church comes, then all bets are off. It's just not what that covenant was. That is why God put Abraham asleep. He cut it. He's the one who enforces it. Man can't break it. Even though Jewish people predominantly have rejected their Messiah, they can't break the Abrahamic covenant because God is the only one who made the Abrahamic covenant. How did people arrive at the conclusion that the church supersedes Israel? Glad you asked. Here are the historical facts. Going to take you back in time. 70 AD and 132 to 135 AD. These are two destructions of Jerusalem. We tend to think of the seven, the, the AD 70 event and go, yeah, that's when the temple got destroyed. Well, Jerusalem got trashed again in 132. These two failed Jewish revolts against Rome because that is what brought on the squashing of the rebellion, a rebellion. The two failed Jewish revolts against Rome resulted in the destruction of the Jewish temple following the first and the banishment of the Jews from Jerusalem's from Jerusalem following the second. This is important because we need to acknowledge it was true for them and it is true for us. The world that you're living in can inform your theology. We are all in this danger zone with or without Maverick. We can be influenced because we feel a pressure, because we feel the events of the day bearing down on us. It could cause us to say, well, maybe this sounds a little bit better. Let's continue with history. The church interpreted these two destructions as God's final judgment on Israel for rejecting her Messiah. Thus, fostering the belief the church had replaced, superseded, Israel is God's chosen people. This, in turn, fostered the belief that the church would now be the recipient of all the covenantal promises that had been made to national 
ethnic Israel. Please note, Justin and Origen held to that position. Were they right or were they perhaps influenced by the times? Historically, the increased Gentile composition of the early church and its resulting Gentile influence led to supersessionism that the church supersedes Israel. Because Jewish Christians had offered little in the way of support for the two revolts, it caused considerable resentment among Jewish nationalists, which resulted in fewer Jewish converts. You see an explosion of Jewish born-again believers in the first century church. What, what, what happened? When, 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 when James is writing to the dispersed ones, he has Jewish believers in mind. This is, this is a, a change in who was getting saved and when. We see that fewer Jewish people did because Gentiles did not engage in either one of these revolts. And Jewish people who are nationalists did not like them, and therefore they were starting to reject Messiah. We see great success among Jewish peoples in the New Testament. Furthermore, after the Jews were banished from Jerusalem in AD 135, Gentiles assumed the leadership roles in the Jerusalem church. Marcus was its first Gentile bishop, 135 to 156. Not only did the Gentiles take control of the Jerusalem church, there was considerable Gentile influence on the early church from places like Antioch, Rome, and Alexandria. Once again, we have to ask, what sort of pressures are pushing me? And it can come squirting out in a lot of different ways. It can come out theologically. It can come out evangelistically. It can come out in parenting. You see what the world is doing, and therefore you alter your parenting strategy, and sometimes that's entirely appropriate. But there are pressures that could cause us to maybe not think through issues as biblically as we could. What we're hearing is, historically, supersessionism had some external pressures that led to this conclusion. Furthermore, you had the advent of allegorical interpretation, where we did not practice a grammatical historical, what did the original author intend approach. Instead, everything was a picture. This is that, that's another thing, and it became allegorized. So the supersessionists need to reinterpret the Old Testament allegorically in light of the fact they believed these scriptures now applied to the New Testament church, including eschatological passages. The church's adoption of Greek philosophy's practice of using allegorical interpretational models, resulting in the church embracing a spiritual rather than a literal interpretation of the Old Testament. Jacob and Esau. It was foretold Esau would serve the younger. Tertullian taught this passage ultimately meant Judaism, the older, would serve the church, the younger. That's an allegorical interpretation. There were pressures that produced the doctrine of supersessionism. When we return, we will begin to unpack the problems with that position and attempt to make the case for non-supersessionism. This is Wretched Radio. 
Hmm, something is happening in the Philippines. Wait, I know what it is. Jesus is building his church. Please meet Pastor Kitu Espiritu from the Master's Academy International in the Philippines. Your support allows us to fill pulpits and transform lives. Pastors are being equipped to rightly divide the truth. People in the Philippines are hearing the truth rightly preached and coming to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus is on the march in the Philippines. Souls are being saved, churches are being built, and yet there are too many empty pulpits. And that is where you come in. Would you please consider filling an empty pulpit in the Philippines so that people can hear the word rightly divided? The Master's Academy International training pastors to do just that in the Philippines and 17 other nations. To learn more, please visit wretched.org slash pastor, wretched.org slash pastor. Howdy, this is handsome Jimmy Hicks, hoping that you'll visit wretched.org. Yeah, it's actually Todd. Because Jimmy, well, he's weak. And he's out today sick. So I would like to encourage you to visit wretched.org slash sale. Why? Because you're an evangelical Christian and you like good deals. And that is precisely what Cyber Monday is all about. Here's the skinny. If you spend $50 or more in the Wretched store, we will send you a free copy of Transformed and we'll send it to you without shipping costs. And aren't those a pistol these days? I mean, of course, hoping that it actually arrives at your destination, you know, COVID. So if you're looking for a year-end deal, now would be the time to visit wretched.org slash sale and say your prayer for handsome Jimmy. How's inflation been treating you if costs for health insurance are skyrocketing in your home? Would you please visit MediShare.com slash wretched affordable biblical health sharing Christians paying for other Christians medical bills, which means you don't have to worry where the money is going for bad stuff. Second of all, you can save on average $500 per month. And finally, MediShare, it's the gold standard for healthcare sharing for more than 25 years. It works and the members, including myself and Mrs. Friel, love it, which is why their customer satisfaction rate is double traditional health insurance. If inflation has got you down, call up the people at MediShare, 844-34-BIBLE or MediShare.com slash wretched. Know your church fathers. Theophilus of Antioch lived a pagan lifestyle until he was converted by reading the scriptures. His most notable work, Apology, was written to an unbelieving friend to show that the scriptures were self-authenticating and argued that the antiquity, clarity, and consistency of the scriptures prove their divine origin. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Supersessionists are not... Knuckleheads, this is Wretched Radio, a list of those who believe that the church has superseded, has replaced Israel. You got yourself Justin, Origen, Eusebius, Augustine, or Augustine, if you live in Florida, Martin Luther, John Calvin. These were big-brained men. They believed that because of external pressures, 
that there were fewer Jewish converts. Gentiles were now stepping into roles of leadership. It looked like there was a shift in God's economy. Used to be the Jews were the chosen people. Now it looks like it's the church. Furthermore, you stir into that pot an allegorical interpretation. Rather than a grammatical historical hermeneutic, it's an allegorical way of reading your Bible where everything becomes something. Jimmy, let's just see if I can make one up here. I'm going to take my Bible. I'm going to flip it open to the Old Testament. It happens to be the end of the book of 2 Kings, chapter 25, verse 27. Now, it came to pass in the 37th year of the captivity of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the 12th month on the 27th day of the month, Kind of hard to allegorize that when it's so historically specific. That evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, released Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from prison. That's talking about the Clintons, who released the people that helped them from prison. You'd go, no, I think that's actually just about an evil king in Jehoiakim. But if you allegorize it, you then say this is now that. And that's precisely what began to take place in the early church, adopting an allegorical hermeneutic, which unfortunately existed in most quarters of Roman Catholicism all the way up until the Reformation, where we started to say, wait a second, we're we're getting pretty fanciful. And believe me, there are some wild understandings about this is that. No, the one that I tend to think of is that Eve is actually a picture of Mary. Uh, I, I can't recall how they get there, but this is always that. And that means that what was this in the Old Testament being Israel is now that in the New Testament, the church. It's called supersessionism. And if you hold that position, I don't think you're a knucklehead either. I get it. I just happen to be on the other side of the line on this one. Now, there are degrees of supersessionism. There's strong supersessionism, believes Israel as an identifiable ethnic nation has no future, nothing, no restoration, no salvation. That's, they're really done strong. You got yourself moderate supersessionism, however, believes to some degree the Jews descended from national Israel will be saved in great numbers and then incorporated into the church. As a nation, Israel will not be restored and thus will have no unique role of mission in its relation with other nations, nor will it be separate from the church. Calvin, Aquinas, a lot of people. Many of their writings are self-contradictory on the subject, comments Michael Vlack, who used to be a master sem, I think he just went to Shepherds now in North Carolina. They struggled with reconciling the belief that national Israel was finished in one sense, but not in another. So that's the moderate position. Well, they're done sort of, but not totally. Kind of hard to build on that rather tenuous foundation. No matter which form of supersessionum you might adhere to, the, it views the, that the nation will be restored or that it will have a future unique relationship with God. Neither believe that, nor will a national Israel have a special unique purpose or mission with regard to other nations that is apart from that of the church in general. That is how they got there historically, the pressures, allegorical interpretation. But what about Bible verses? 
Is there anything that argues for supersessionism? Well, of course they thought so. They would use Ephesians 2.11. Therefore, remember, you were Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, the Jewish people. Remember that you were at that time separate, excluded from the people of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, no hope. But now in Christ, you who previously were far away have been brought near by the blood. So they would they would say, see, clearly God's focus is on the church. And I would say to you clearly right now it is. But that doesn't mean it's not going to change in the future because we simply have to deal with those verses that talk about future events of Israel. And it is worth making that distinction usually between national and ethnic. Because if you remember, there was land, nation. So it was that zip code and it was that people. So you do see that division made in the Abrahamic covenant. They scripture <clears throat> that that they would use Romans Romans 11 I think kind of puts a kibosh on but they would say Galatians 3:28 is also support for supersessionism. Therefore there's now no distinction between Jew and Gentile. Aha. He's done with the Jewish people. It's just church folk now. Well, let's take a look at Romans 11. God, say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? Far from it. May it never happen. Romans 11, 11. They did not stumble so as to fall, did they? Talking about Israel, far from it. But by their wrongdoing, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Romans eleven twenty four, 24. For... If you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will those who are the natural branches branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? For I do not want you, brothers and sisters, to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentile has come. And so all Israel will be saved. Yikes, that's Romans 11. I know a lot of people like to skip chapters 9, 10, and 11, but this is very helpful. It is a clear laying out of the position of Israel, national and ethnic Israel in the future. When Paul used terms like, may it never be, of course, what do we, whoa, whoa, whoa. How can you be grafted in and they won't? It seemed preposterous to him. He talks about the church and Israel in Romans as two distinct groups. You can also see 1 Samuel 12, 22, Psalm 89, 31 through 37, about God's promises of fidelity to ethnic and national Israel. What do we do with this? Three questions. If you are a supersessionist, and and incidentally, this isn't an assault. We're just tackling one side of this today. We'll talk about non-supersessionism more. And there, by the way, uh, it's it's not like it's, oh, that is just, there's nothing challenging about it. This is a challenging subject, and that's why I don't think you are a knucklehead if you happen to hold the supersessionist position. Just disagree, but I wouldn't challenge, would challenge you to ask these questions. If God is both true and cannot lie, we know that's true. How is it he can make multiple eternal and unconditional promises, covenants, 
to a specifically identified group of people, the ethnic nation of believing Israel, and not fulfill them in relation to that one specifically identified group. He makes many promises to Israel. It would be a little bit of a carpet pull that Israel, nope, those aren't for you. They're going to be fulfilled in somebody else. If that's true, wouldn't the inspired Bible writers have said, look, there's going to be a group of people and God has a future plan for them, but you're going to be totally done and cut off. It's just not the way the Old or the New Testaments are written. If the church and Israel are now one and the same, why do the tribes of the Son of Israel still exist in passages like Revelation 7, 4 through 8? I heard a number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And the tribe of Judah, 12,000. Reuben, 12,000. Tribe of Gad, 12,000. Asher, etc. That's so, it's almost, that section of scripture, it reminds me of Genesis when it's that specific. Now, the number might be symbolic, but that doesn't compromise the legitimacy of its future claims. It's so specific. What I meant was the church. Mm. Furthermore, one must ask, what Bible passage explicitly eliminates the possibility that the promises and covenants God made to the literal ethnic nation of believing Israel can be futuristically fulfilled in the same sense of when those promises and covenants were first made and in the manner of how they were first understood. Now, I don't think that you need a verse like that because I think we struggle sometimes to say, well, this is the verse that makes the case for cessationism. You need to use the whole Bible for that. So I, I don't think that's necessarily a clobber question, but it is a question with some weight, considering the importance of this issue. Don't know where you stand on the issue, but perhaps the moral to this story is a reminder. Let's be thinking more about the return of Jesus Christ, and let's be mindful. You and I can feel the pressures of the world when it comes to forming our eschatology. This is Wretched Radio. Books of the Bible The book of Revelation describes visions given to the Apostle John by Jesus Christ concerning the consummation of history. Its symbolic style makes Revelation a mystery to many. But you can understand much by asking what are the setting and action and who are the characters. When you wonder how it's all going to end, God has given Revelation just for you. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Well, somebody had some free time. This is Wretched Radio at the website of chalice.org. When I see a list, my eyes light up like a Christmas tree. 40 random thoughts, pieces of advice for the Christian life. I said, I'm all in. And apparently Tim had some free time because he wrote down pretty scattershot observations that he has made over the years. He's 45 years old now, looking forward to his book being released. It will be a very helpful book for people who have lost a loved one, transparently revealing how a Christian man and his family grieves through the death of their young son. It's a powerful book. It will be out September 3rd. Tim Challies, continuing to write at challies.org, decided, you know, I haven't been able to find a home for these thoughts. 
I don't have an entire article I can build on them. So, blap! Here you go if you have a short attention span, and I trust you do because according to the DSM-5, we all do. Let's get to 40 random pieces of advice for the Christian life. One, learn to apologize. Learn to apologize first. Learn to apologize often. Learn that to apologize is a mark of strength of character, not weakness, because you are secure in your position in Christ. You know where you're going. It's 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 it shouldn't be as big a struggle to say I was wrong. <clears throat> I was I'm sorry. It actually shows character because you're secure in Christ. And even if somebody rolls their eyes and goes, "Wow, that was really bad," or "What a loser," you're you're not going to be rocked by it because you're secure in Christ. If you're not married and you're not good at apologizing, let me just say this strongly to you, you're not ready to be married. It's that important. If you do not have the ability to recognize, yep, I sure do sin and I sin a lot, and they have a quick willingness to say, I'm sorry, you're not ready yet. You need to take some time and cultivate that character that says, honey, I blew it. I'm so sorry. And we can listen to all kinds of voices in those moments, can't we? But, Jimmy, what she said was way worse. (laughs) You don't talk to her like that. And you wouldn't feel like, well, okay, yeah, so I yelled, but she screamed. Therefore, I don't have to cultivate an attitude that says, I'm sorry. Blew it. Forgive me. Please. Jimmy? I think if I had to put the list top five pieces of marital advice, that would be in that list. Oh, absolutely. I I don't know if it would be one, but it would definitely be top five. Number two random thought from Tim Challies. Remember that your children are sinners who are beset by the fierce enemies of the world, flesh, and the devil. Be gentle with them and have pity for them. Don't be yet another enemy to them. Oof. Ooh, I'm trying to, was it Lupriolo, maybe, who said something about your spouse's sinning? You see your spouse sin or your children sin, and you scratch your head and you go, "What? I don't get it. What is, what's the problem here? Well, there's stuff you don't know. There's stuff like you don't know the amount of pressure that they're feeling. You don't know what historically has has made an imprint on them that could cause them to perhaps not think through the issue as well as you're able to in the moment. Furthermore, you don't even know for sure how you would do under the same pressures. Recognizing that should cause us to be tender. And speaking of family advice, Jimmy, I got to tell you something, man. What's that? You have got yourself one amazing speaker coming to your church. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm, I'm reading it right here. It's called Joy in the Home Marriage and Family Conference uh-huh. at your Foothills Community <sighs> Church in Marble Hill, Georgia. Yeah. That's a thriving metropolis, I hear. <laughs> it seems that way. Do they have a gas station in Marble Hill? And a Dollar General. No. Oh, yes. On the map, baby. <laughs> That's near Ballground, I thought. Uh, yes, I think so. Yeah, Ballground's a, a, a little 
quaint town. Yeah. They've got a, is it a bus or a train there? It's uh, a bus. Yes, a bus. That's a diner. And the food is actually pretty good, as I recall. At any rate, Saturday, September 17th. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. Make plans to join us at Foothills Community Church Saturday, September, for the Join the Home Marriage and Family Conference. Oh, look at If you're anywhere near Marble Hill, I know you're going to have to Google it. But if you're anywhere near, <laughs> dinner will be provided. Oh. This is almost a perfect evening. Chick-fil-A. Ah, yes. And Zaxby's, but nevertheless. <laughs> the first conference session begins at 5.30 p.m. Our guest speaker for the evening will be Todd Friel. I guess. Uh, Uh Yeah. You can learn more. Just visit wretched.org and go to the, I think, speaking calendar, something like that. Or you could go to online at Eventbrite. What is that? Eventbrite. What? That's where you sell tickets. Oh, Eventbrite. To events, yes. Miss that T right there. (laughs) Eventbrite or in person at the church's office. We'll see you September 17th. Jimmy, you are one blessed church. I'm just telling you that. (laughs) But enough about me. Let's get back to Tim Challey's scattershot advice that might be helpful. Understand you don't need to have (laughs) this one hurts. And I think I found it out. Jimmy, I have I'm going to I'm going to pick apart a word so that I do not have to adhere to this advice. Okay. Here's here's what he wrote. Understand you don't need to have an opinion about everyone and everything. See, he said need. Yeah, right. But you can. You don't need to, but you can, because I do. So, therefore, I'm exempt. In fact, it is a mark of maturity to deliberately not have opinions about things that don't concern you or things you know nothing about. Oh, boy. Thanks, Tim. Find a couple whose grown children you'd be proud to call your own. Ask that couple... If you can spend time with their kids to ask them questions about parenting or to simply observe life in their home. What was it like? How did your parents treat you? How did they respond when you biffed it? Because if you see really godly, mature adult children, something good happened in that house. Go learn it. Change churches as seldom as possible and only when necessary. Never change churches without seeking the counsel of the church you're considering leaving and the one you're thinking about joining. It is almost always best to leave in a quiet and dignified way that preserves the church's unity, even if you are agitated with it. Don't make a stink. Just, I think it's best, inform the elders. They may or may not want to meet with you. Obviously, it depends on the circumstances, the situation, the number of meetings you already have had, whether you choose to take them up on that offer. But even if the church has been PU, um, don't don't make a bigger mess. Don't 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 leave with don't leave like Rambo facing the church with your machine gun just blowing away. You get no free pass on the sin of slander. When it pertains to an enemy, ouch, a heretic, ouch, or a politician. Now, please note, I do believe that we can use stronger words the way that Jesus did with false teachers. These are people who are dyed in the wool heretics who are propagating their theology. The followers of heretics, I don't think we need to talk sternly to or about them. 
they're 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 lost. They're the harvest field. Those who are teachers who are pushing it. Jesus had very strong words for them, but that's different than slander. That's different. And and I think one of the biggest slanders these days has got to be one one-sided news stories. Somebody is unhappy with their church. They leave in a fit and then they somehow make it into the public domain with Instagram or Twitter, whatever it is that you do to get out there these days. And they go about the business of just slandering their church. Now, they might be right in part or totally. So what's the problem? Why is it still slander? to pass that information along, or frankly, to even consume it. It's because you haven't heard the other side of the story. And we do that. That's why I'm, I, I know that news businesses would go out of business if they adhered to the rule. Look, if somebody is being charged with a crime, you don't need to announce it. Let the, let, it, let the courts deal with it. I know it might take 17 years to get your verdict, but let's say the person was innocent. They have been besmirched. And we need to make sure that we have a high view of a person's name and not slender. We don't need to. If we have the truth, if we're on the right side, we don't need to bear false witness. We don't need to spread gossip and rumor. Now, that is true for the good guys. And we see that pretty naturally, don't we? Well, it's somebody I like. There's got to be another side of the story. That's true. And it's also true for somebody who is a theological wackadoodle. This is a discernment rule that we have tried to adhere to, I hope well, for years. Thanks, Tim. Thanks a lot. This is Wretched Radio. 200. That's right. 200 Tomorrow Clubs are now up and running again in Ukraine. That means kids are hearing the gospel. They're getting saved. Their parents are getting saved. The church is getting strengthened. Not only are the Tomorrow Clubs busy preaching the gospel, they're also very busy helping people. This is our buddy Max in Ukraine. We have created the Ukraine Support Fund. Thanks to our partners, Tomorrow Clubs began immediate assistance to the network of the local church. It became a safe place for thousands of refugees fleeing their devastated homes. Providing food, providing clothing, potable water, a safe place, communication. Would you please consider becoming a ministry partner of the amazing ministry called Tomorrow Clubs? You can learn how you could participate in the spreading of the gospel in Eastern Europe at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Hey, thank you for joining us on Wretched Radio today. Did you know we are so close to the launch of Season 3 of Road Trip to Truth? That's right, Season 3 will be released November 1st. Be ready. It's an all-new season with host John Fabarius tackling gender issues, justice, bumper sticker philosophy, how technology affects the brain, and a lot of other topics. With experts Nate Pickowitz, Alan Parr, Dr. Paul Twist, Dr. Jason Lyle, and others. 
and it would not be possible without the help and support of our gospel partners. If you're already a gospel partner, of course, we want to thank you and joining our efforts to reach the world with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not already a gospel partner, could we ask you to pray about it? And also visit wretched.org donate to get answers to any question you might have about being a gospel partner. Wretched.org donate. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. Hey, isn't this groovy? Dozens of crisis pregnancy centers have been vandalized or set on fire because of the Roe v. Wade decision. A preborn center in Buffalo was firebombed. A preborn clinic in Gresham, Oregon was hit with an incendiary device. A preborn clinic in Miami vandalized and they're receiving bomb threats. In other words, the battle for life is becoming a battle for life. And yet, the preborn centers continue to open. Support organizations like preborn and like your local pregnancy clinic that are unwaveringly and without fear opening again today offering free, loving, Christ-centered alternatives to these young women. Be part of the solution. Please join the literal battle for life. Preborn.org slash wretched. Preborn.org slash wretched. Attributes of God. Can a loving God be wrathful? If God loves righteousness, loves people, and wants what is best for his creation, he must hate what runs contrary to his will. God must always respond to sin with wrath, and his wrath must be satisfied. It is either satisfied on the cross, or each person will bear God's wrath eternally in hell. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Four bucks. Totally blue four bucks. This is Wretched Radio. I know these days that can't even buy you a gallon of gas. <laughs> but what can be done? Seriously. What can be done to bring down oil prices? We can't drill. You can't frack. I mean, what is there to do? Even though we probably underneath Pennsylvania and Ohio have more oil than Saudi Arabia. What could we possibly do if we're going to save the hooded winking owl or whatever it is that we're trying to save four bucks is what it costs for me to subscribe. Oh, this hurts to the New York times. See, I thought I was being kind of smart. Well, I'll read the New York times more thoroughly to make sure that I'm up on what the big brains are thinking about. Let me tell you what they're thinking about. Basically, they hate Donald Trump. They hate Donald Trump's followers. They hate they hate anything conservative. They hate anything biblical. They hate anything that is traditional. And they love progressivism. So, Jimmy, I get an email now every day. Okay. Here's here's my here's the options that were sent to me from the editorial board. January 6th was a warning. Will lawmakers do anything to protect the 2024 election? Because. The accusation is that it was those people in Washington that were trying to steal the vote. Right. Mm -hmm. Who is financing Trump's big lie? Caucus? Corporations you know? The flow of corporate money to politicians who voted to overturn the 2020 election is helping fund a continuing attack on our democracy. There's no opinion journalism going. I know it's an editorial, but yikes. There are no winners on Team Chicken. What constitutes normal in today's Republican Party still has rot 
at its heart. I wonder where they're coming from, the New York Times. Normalizing mass hysteria is another one. We are now living in an age of political mass hysteria led by Donald Trump's election lies. Next one. This is a guest essay. The future criminal case against Donald Trump. Wow. I know why Donald Trump has so much money in the bank, Jimmy. Figured this one out. How's that? Yeah, he gets free rent in people's brains. (laughs) Don't know why they don't charge him for that. Wow. Four bucks. And then I go to chalice.org.com and I get this for free. Continuing with just random thoughts, tips that might actually help you and might help you serve better in your local church. Here's a tip for you. When the church service ends, make it your goal to meet someone you don't know or connect with someone you don't know before you spend time with friends. And make a beeline for anyone who is alone or who looks awkward. That's something we can do, isn't it? I, I, perhaps you are somebody who struggles socially. I, I get that. But that's something you could do. Find somebody who just looks a little confused or just a little bit out of it or doesn't have anybody to talk to and say, Hey, how you doing? What would you think of the service today? Talk about what you just saw. And incidentally, Tim didn't write this, but don't forget... Unlike the New York Times, this is free. When we're standing around talking, can we please find something else to talk about than politics, please? In church, okay, I get it. Table talk, I understand. But in church, we can't figure out something to talk about besides current events? Nothing theological? Nothing you read in your Bible this week? Nothing that you've been praying for, no concerns, no issues. The children are perfect. Nothing we could talk about that might have something to do with being a body of believers and fellowship together. Just asking. Tim Challies, read The Pilgrim's Progress at least once. Recommended highly. Get yourself an abridged version. Get yourself one that you can understand. And you are going to think that John Bunyan was a mind reader. How did he know this? That's exactly what I think. Yes, that's exactly how that feels. It's an amazing book. Number one best-selling fiction book of all time. The number one nonfiction book, of course, is The Bible. If you've never read The Pilgrim's Progress, get on it and read it to your kids. I'm telling you, you'll take if you it's not a it's not a bad devotional to do because it's so so theologically rich. If you just read through a section part of Christian's journey to Celestial City. Just read a part of it and talk about it. It's it's that rich, that profound. Acknowledge that in most friendships, one person will be the main pursuer and the main initiator. Don't feel sorry for yourself if you are that person. (laughs) Okay, Tim, I'll take your advice. And now I'm just proving my own point because Jimmy never initiates the the friendship. I'm sorry. I'm over here grieving and you don't even say, hey, Todd, what's the matter? Hey, Todd, what's the matter? Nothing, friend. I'm fine. Okay. Just fine. It's true, isn't it? <laughs> I am. It's, it, it's 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 what is your to to make a friend? You got to be a friend. Okay, we should be reaching out to people to do stuff. But it pretty it's pretty common, isn't it? That's one person is the pursuer. And you shouldn't feel bad about that. 
you might have a tendency to go, well, that means they don't like me as much as I might like them. And while that is a possibility, like it is in any relationship, you're not doing it so that you can be liked back. You're doing it because you care for the person. Tim Challies acknowledge, oh, that's the same one. If you find your children are rebellious. <laughs> Jimmy. It's what's so funny, Todd. You met any kids that are rebellious? Yes. You. <laughs> no, no, I was perfect. My, my children. Exactly. <laughs> Take the time to honestly assess if you are modeling rebellion or submission to the sources of authority in your own life. Because if they see you kicking against the goads, why would be shocked if they don't respect and submit to us? Chalies, whether in government, workplace, church, or home, there's no reason to expect submission in your children if they see rebellion in you. And that was another one of the random pieces of advice that Tim offered. Don't trash talk your local church on the drive home. Don't don't go about the business of talking about all the problems. You're poisoning your kid. I will confess to you, this is most likely one of the biggest mistakes that I made as a parent. Leaving church, being agitated. And as I look back on it, I, as objectively as I can at the moment, now this is going back 20-some years, we were in a land where there were not good churches. And you would go from one disaster after another. Okay, it was, we just celebrated Father's Day. Somebody sent me a church service of a big church, big church, lots of people, pastor untucked shirt, you know, the 50-some-year-old guy wants to talk about being a manly man. So he invited some manly men who were wearing lumberjack shirts onto the stage so that they could prove how manly they were by eating live worms and bugs. And they call it a church. It's a joke. It's ridiculous. That, 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 that man does not need to be in a pulpit. And he needs to tuck in his shirt and wear a belt. That is that is the state of so much of Christendom. And if you, mom and dad, like I have in the past, leave church and just rail, the kids go, church, they, they think church is stupid. Or we get to sit in judgment on church. Wow, what are we cultivating for the next generation? If all we do is hack away at the church that we belong to? Yikes. What is going to be the attitude of the children? When they grow up, is it any wonder they aren't running to the church for help on issues? Back to uh, Tim Challies. <laughs> Never disrespect your spouse or speak disrespectfully to or about your spouse. Ever. Fight them on. Somebody says something bad about your spouse, nip, nip, nip it in the bud. This isn't exactly the same thing, but that's never stopped a segue before. We walk. My wife and I love to walk. It means we bump into people. And sometimes they're Christians. And it's sweet and great. And I enjoy talking to unbelievers. But they will, having just met us, just met us, in front of a lady, that would be my wife, drop the F-bomb. Oh! Heard a lot of that on the beach. Oh! Wow! I am I am really tempted to say something. Now, I know that'll put an end to any sort of relationship, 
But I, I don't like I don't like to hear those things. They kind of make me go, wow, I forgot the world talks like that. I'm in a bubble here at the ministry, but I don't want my wife hearing it either. Now, is that going too far? I don't know. I'm still debating it because I'd have to figure out a way to say it nicely. Maybe just step up to the guy, kind of turn my back to everything. Hey, sir, I'm not saying you can't drop the F-bomb, but not around my wife. I don't, I don't think that's a horrible thing to say. I know what I'd like to say, but that would be sinful. <laughs> so if you, don't, if you don't buy that one, please, by defending your spouse, somebody says something less than honorable, you need to stop it. Even if you happen to be right now, things are a little tense in your home, doesn't matter. Defend your spouse. I'm quite certain you would want your spouse to be defending you. Wow, that felt like one big thought. I have ADHD that bad. Until tomorrow, go serve your king.